0: I'm going to invite you to take either your digital copy or your hard copy of the Bible. And our aim is actually to conclude our study through the book of Jonah this morning. So turn with me, or flip with me, to the fourth chapter of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, if the Lord wills, we will conclude this book today. The scripture tells us that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. This morning, as we look at Jonah chapter 4, we are going to look at one of those temptations that is common to all of us, and that is sinful anger. Now I use the word sinful anger, which is different than a righteous anger, because it's possible for us to be angry and not sin, to be passionate about something that God is And it's okay for that. But often, that's not where we land. We land when we look for our TV remote for the millionth time and cannot find it, and we are furious about that. We land when we lend someone out some of our tools, and they either bring them back late, or they bring them back broken. We land when we... Call our cell phone provider and just make a slight tweak in our plan, only to find out that they completely botch it and that we're going to have to call them back and spend another 45 minutes wasting our time making a wrong right. We land, as it was the case for me yesterday, when we're driving on the road and someone rolls their window down and yells out a profanity at you. And this time it wasn't even my fault. We land when, when a mom has just mopped the floor only to have her toddler spill juice. And we land when we come out of the grocery store only to find that there's a new scratch or dent on our minivan or our vehicle and no one has claimed that. And what comes out of us is anger, a ferocious emotion. One of the Christian counselors by the name of Jay Adams said, Anger is a problem for every Christian. Sinful anger is probably involved in 90% of all counseling problems. And not only is sinful anger the cause of emotional problems, but sinful anger is also the problem of physical problems as well, like heart disease. So now we turn back to our preacher, our prophet Jonah, and and we would have to identify him on the outside as a resounding success. He went into Nineveh, he preached the word that God had given to him, then we will find out that 120,000 people repented and became followers of God. Remarkably, however, as much of a success as he was on the outside There is no prophet in all of the scriptures that is portrayed in a more negative light than Jonah. And I would say this, if Jonah is indeed the author of his own book, then we are in a debt of gratitude to him for being so transparent, not only chronicling the success of the revival of Nineveh, but what was taking place in his own soul and heart during that process. So here he was in chapter 1. He's been instructed to go to Nineveh to preach this message. Out of his stubborn, hardened will, he says, I will not go And he goes in the opposite direction, the Tarshish. God loved him too much to not bring discipline. He sends a storm and then a great fish to swallow him three days and three nights. And he calls out in the belly of that great fish in prayer. And it looks like God has done a work in him. Because in Jonah chapter 3, he is given a second chance. And he goes and he preaches the word that God has given to him. And as he preaches it, the people respond. One would think with that crowning achievement now under his belt, he would be one happy preacher. But that's not what we read in Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Follow along with me now as we read this chapter together. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into a being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Would you pray with me? Father, it's a pleasure to be able to bring this before you again today. We've just read your word. Of any book in the Bible where we see how you could use your word preached, it would seem to be Jonah. It was just a matter of words. Uh, One proclaimed what you wanted him to say, and an entire city was turned to you. Lord, I would pray that same faith that you would just bless the reading and now preaching of your word. That you would bring transformation to our hearts. Help us to think about our own lives, our own anger in the way that you do. And then point us back to Jesus that we would find the forgiveness and grace that we need in him for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know of any other way to handle a passage of scripture, but then just to work through it verse by verse and phrase by phrase. So let's do that. If you have an outline on the back of your bulletin, you'll see number one. That says, Jonah is furious that God did not punish Nineveh, but instead offered mercy. Now, why was it that Jonah was angry? That's a great question, isn't it? Some have said, I think the reason that Jonah was angry is he went into Nineveh. He offered this simple message. We saw it there in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. And I'm quoting, this was a sermon, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He is offering this very clear word to the people there of Nineveh. Forty days have passed and God did not bring judgment upon these people. And now Jonah is looking like a fool because he made this promise and God has not made good on this promise. It's possible that's why Jonah is mad, but I think it's something deeper than that. Perhaps Jonah saw what was coming. Yes, God might forgive the citizens there of Nineveh, but he saw these Assyrian terrorists as an ongoing threat to his own people, the Israelites. And while God might offer them forgiveness, there would be another generation that would rise up and one day overtake the Israelites. And he was right. Pastor Jim last Sunday preached on idolatry. That there is something or someone more important than God to a person. And I think that's what we have here in Jonah. There was someone, there was something that was more important than God to this preacher. And you know what it was? I think it was his own country. Patriotism had overridden his delight and his love towards his God. And so he was furious with God that God would show mercy to people other than the Israelites. Jonah is kind of like the older brother in the parable of a prodigal son. Do you remember that story that Jesus taught? It was like there is a, a father that has two sons, a younger son and an older son. The the younger son is foolish. He gets his inheritance from his father quickly, and he goes out, and he uses that inheritance in very wicked and selfish ways. And he comes crawling back to his father, and the father lavishes him with mercy and grapes and calls for a great banquet. But there was an older brother, and this older brother is the rule follower. He's always done, quote-unquote, what his dad has wanted him to do. And so when he sees that forgiveness has been offered to the younger brother, he is furious. And Jonah is like that himself. Here are these wicked people of Nineveh. If ever there were a group of people that did not deserve God's forgiveness, it was them. And now that God has granted it to them, like the older brother, Jonah is upset. He is angry with God. In fact, look again at chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, that he is exceedingly angry. He is furious with God. I think what we see here in Jonah is that his anger has four different elements. So follow along with me. Jonah's anger is first, stunning. It is stunning. The people of Nineveh had responded to his preaching. Now, as a preacher myself... I'm just telling you, you would live for a day like this where you have the word of God on your heart and it's on your tongue and you preach it to the people and listen to this, they actually listen and respond. By the droves. I'm just telling you, it could not get any better than this. But instead of embracing that and being joyful, we actually see him being angry about this. Let me put it in another light. Imagine you were brought up and you just had this knack for acting. And you were quickly discovered and you were put in the most prominent acting schools. And you were in commercials, you were in TV shows, and you were in films. And then one day you got your break. When a very prominent screenwriter decides to cast you in the leading role. And it's a role that was just written for you. And you absolutely nail it. So much so that the critics love you and you are nominated for an Oscar and you actually win the Oscar and you are called up in front of everyone, dressed as nice as you possibly can. They hand you the Oscar and this is what you do. You spike it like a football because you are furious Or, or imagine that you have a skill in music. And you are a prodigy and you devote all your waking hours to, to working on this craft. And you have a unique way of doing it. And you begin to make your music known and people by the millions are buying your songs. And the critics love you and you actually win an academy award. And once they bring that award to you, they call your name out and you go into a tirade of anger. Wouldn't you say that that is weird? That's kind of what's taking place here for Jonah. God has made him a preacher. He has put the word on his tongue, and he has proclaimed it. May I say to you that Jonah was the goat. He was the greatest of all time. I mean, he preached a message, and 120,000 people repented. I'm not aware of any other person in the Bible, and I would even say in all of history, that have had such a response to one sermon. And listen to what Jesus said of Jonah. He said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, For the people of Nineveh, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Even Jesus said that the people repented at his preaching. Bible schools in our day would be named after him. Impressive statues would be erected under his name. And and if you wanted to purchase a Bible, I'm sure that there would be a Jonah version. The upper half would be the Scriptures. The bottom half would be his commentary related to those Scriptures. And yet he was angry that God had forgiven people that he did not want them to forgive. The second element of his anger was not only was it stunning or surprising, it was misguided Jonah's questions, he questions the justice of God. While Jonah had received the mercy of God in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, he did not think that these people deserved the same mercy. Evidently, he saw God as a pushover. And so when we see here in verse 3, pardon me, verse 2, He actually is quoting the second half of verse 2 from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Let me read that to you there in verse 2. It says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee for Tarshish. Listen to this. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Sometimes people make this mistake of thinking that God in the Old Testament is always angry, He is holy, and He is one that brings judgment. But that certainly is not what Jonah thought of God. He saw Him as a God of grace. He saw Him as a God of mercy. And he saw Him as one slow to anger. If you would look at Exodus chapter 34, you would see that verse being quoted from verse 6. But of Jonah would have just kept reading or kept quoting on to the 7th verse, it would say this, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I would say this, Jonah was misusing Scripture here. He was only quoting a portion of Scripture that suited his argument. He was like a, like a smooth lawyer or a, a shoddy news source that was only going to quote what would help him in his argument. There's another one that has misused Scripture, the devil. When he tempted Jesus, he, he used Scripture, but he used it and twisted it to tempt Jesus. So he is misguided in his anger. And then thirdly, he is selfish in his anger. Now we got to give Jonah some credit here. As we look at chapter 4, verse 1, we see that he is exceedingly angry. And what does he do with that anger? Verse 2 says, and he prayed to the Lord. He does not flee this time. He brings his anger to God. And for that, he is to be commended. But if you are really, really angry at God, what do you think your prayer is going to be like? Well, in this two-verse prayer, you're going to see eight references to a personal pronoun, either I or myself. So let's review this prayer again. Verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in the steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Verse 3. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to live than to die. The root, of, the root cause of anger is always in pride. It is always in selfishness. God did not act the way that jo- Jonah wanted, so he was mad. He didn't get his way. Remember what James 4.1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fight among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's been a convicting week for me as I've, I've looked over this passage and I begin to see, you know, there's some patterns of this in my own life. In recent weeks, and recent months, as the cold weather kind of settled in on northeast Wisconsin, there was a shortage of gloves and mittens in my home. Now I have several pairs of gloves and mittens, and I've put them in the common box, and so when I needed them to gather firewood or to go ice fishing, there were nowhere to be found. And so I gathered my boys, and and I thought offered a very articulate sermon on on the reasons to be thoughtful towards your father and to honor him, but unfortunately, none of them have come to me and says, you know, I really appreciate what you had to say to me right there. And so I've been angry over my selfishness, over a lack of gloves and mittens. I'll tell you another thing that I've been kind of angry about is a shortage of phone chargers. I'm telling you, I buy these things all the time. And and I've actually brought my family into my room and showed them an outlet. And I've said to them, this is mine. No one touches this phone charger I don't want anyone to take this phone charger. Now, I don't believe in the tooth fairy, but I'm beginning to believe in the phone charger fairy. Because in the middle of the night, it is nowhere to be found. I just keep buying these things and they're disappearing. And I get angry about that. Someone is trespassing into my room and they're taking my charger. Where are my gloves? Where are my mittens? I need these things. (laughs) <laughs> thank you I'm not the only one and where is that rooted it really is I shouldn't be bothered I'm, I'm, I'm selfish when it comes to my life being interrupted a bit God had given Jonah everything he needed he had used him to convert a city Yet it didn't happen the way that Jonah wanted, and he was furious. Let me give you a fourth element of his anger, which I think is just amazing, and it's irrational. Since God offered mercy to Nineveh, Jonah wanted his life to end. You see it there in verse 3? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now it's possible that some of you would, would read this and you say, you know, there's another man in the Old Testament, another prophet that was just like this, and that was Elijah. Elijah reached a point where he was discouraged, and he asked God, would you take my life? In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, he said, oh Lord, take away my life. And certainly both these prophets lacked faith, but I want to give Elijah a little excuse here. He was burdened for his people the Israelites, and they were not listening to the word of God. And he was discouraged. But Jonah was given the word of God. He preached it, and over 120,000 people repented and became followers of God, and that's what discouraged him. I'm going to say there's a difference between those two. Now, if you were God, how might you respond to this stubborn man this one with a sinful anger. I've been thinking about that all week. And, and I've come up with this. I think I would say, Jonah, how about we go for another swim? I want to take you out to the beach. And here's a towel. Here's some suntan lotion. You see that buoy out there? Why don't you just start swimming towards that buoy? We're not going to worry about a great fish. We'll bring a great white shark. And in one chomp, this will be all over. And that just reveals my heart and the impatience of my heart. But I'm so grateful that God did not do that to Jonah because I can read that and say, if he didn't do it to Jonah, then he wouldn't do it to me as well. So we see here the second point of the message is instead of punishing Jonah for his sinful anger, God offers mercy again. Look with me there at verse 4 where it says, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? This is a question of kindness. Jonah, I just spared 120,000 people from eternal damnation. Is it right for you to be upset about that? And so then we have this wonderful word picture. Can we just just follow along with me in verse 5? So Jonah went up to the city and sat on the east of the city and made a a, booth booth. For himself there, he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So he went on the outskirts, and maybe there was a hill, and he looked down at the skyline in the hopes that God would change his mind and that God would pour out his wrath there on Nineveh. You know, on the 4th of July, our family often will find its way over to Uncle Micah's house where he'll shoot off some fireworks and blow up some stuff. And then on our way back, we get on the east side, and I think there's that big hill. and Is it Scray Hill or something like that? I'm looking at my wife for a nod. And, and on that on the top of that hill, you can see all of Green Bay and all of the And you can see Lambeau Field. And, and then, because it's night, you'll see the fireworks over the Fox River, and you'll see fireworks over all the little like, neighborhoods and subdivisions in De Pere and Green Bay. It's a magnificent place. I think it's with that in mind that Jonah is looking out over this hill and he's waiting. Maybe he has some, some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. And, and, and one thing's for sure, he is never going back to Nineveh because he's going to root, root for the home team of the Israelites. And while he is waiting there, God brings a blessing. Look at look with me at verse 6. Now the Lord appointed a plant. And made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He had one time in verse 1, he was exceedingly angry. But now he's exceedingly glad. Finally, God is beginning to serve him. Finally, God is not making a mess and bringing discomfort in his life. He is happy to have some shade over this intense heat. But it is short-lived. Verse 7. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Verse 8: When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, and that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Verse 9: But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Same question that he was asked earlier. And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity that plant. Let me just give you some help here. The word pity is you are grieved over the plant. You have compassion on this plant. You are tore up over the absence of this plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. In other words, Jonah this is not your land that you are seated at. You did not plant a seed. You did not cultivate this soil. You did not water this. In a night, I made sure that you had a plant. My note says it was a castor oil plant. And one night later, that plant was not there. You had no investment in time and no investment in your resources, and yet you are crushed that your comfort has been removed. then, as if to say, let me, tell you, what, let me tell, you what, tell you what I'm compassionate about. Let me tell you what I'm burdening about. Let me tell you what I'm grieved about. Look with me at verse 11. And should I not pity, same word, Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons, people who do not know the right hand from the left and also much cattle. Jonah, you are upset over these temporary comforts. I'll tell you what I'm upset about is the thought of 120,000 people in this city going to hell. That too is pretty convicting, isn't it? We grieve over the Packers losing the NFC championship. We get upset when our iPhone screen gets cracked. We are crushed when our favorite outfit gets a stain on it or when our refrigerator goes out. But God is upset over eternal matters. There's people in your workplace, people in our neighborhoods, people in our city, in our village that don't know him. And that question concludes this book. Shouldn't I be getting upset about these eternal matters that people are going to go to hell unless they repent of their sins? Isn't that something I'm worthy to get upset about? And that question, I think, shifts from Jonah to answer for you and I to answer. To be able to say, yes, God, you have made these people in your image. And you ought to have compassion over them. And if you have compassion on them, so should we have compassion on them as well. And I would remind you, loved ones that beginning on Resurrection Sunday, the first Sunday of April, April through May, because of this passion that God has for people, we want to do an evangelism course that meets right here in the auditorium during the Bible study hour from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, from junior high all the way to our senior adults. Why? Because people matter to God, and they are to matter to us. So let's offer a few conclusions before we wind it down today. Conclusion number one. To the outside world, Jonah was a raging success. On the inside, he was a prideful, angry man. If our search team were to have met with Jonah and interviewed him, we would have asked questions like this. Tell us, Jonah. Tell us some of your theology. We we want to know what you believe about the gospel. And he might have said in chapter 2, Verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. As if to say, the only way one can be made right with God is if God acts on their behalf, and we would have said, Good. He understands the gospel, he is orthodox. Wonderful. Let's ask him some questions about spiritual discipline. Say, Jonah, are you a praying man? Oh, yes, I'm a praying man. I pray in the most unusual places. And sometimes I I would be delighted to tell you a story. It's a whale of a story. Well, how about your scriptures? Do, do you know your scriptures? Are you able to memorize and recite scriptures? Oh, yes. Let me, let me recite for you Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And he would have done that for us. Okay, Jonah, wonderful. You're orthodox. You're, you're using the spiritual disciplines. Tell us about a track record. What is have you, have you ever been called to preach? And have you preached? And what has been the result of that? Well, I'm glad you asked because one time I was called to preach to go to Nineveh and I proclaimed that message and 120,000 people became followers of God. And the search team and I might have said, this guy's good. But before we move forward, we really should check his references. So we might check the sailors, we might check the captain, we might check the people of Nineveh, and if we could interview God, we would interview God, and we would find out that while on the outside, Jonah was a man of great success on the inside, he was something very different than that. What do you think God's most concerned about, your outside or your inside? inside? In recent days, we've heard of men, and, and I have take absolutely no, no delight in this, but like Ravi Zachariah or Carl Lentz, men that on the outside had hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, but on the inside there was a fight against God. Praise the Lord that we see life of Jonah and we can learn from this. The second thing I think we see here is God is so determined to produce maturity in his children that he offers discomfort, mercy, and patience. Praise be to God that when God sees this stubborn will within Jonah in chapter 1, he sends a storm, and then he sends a great fish. And praise be to God that when he sees this anger problem there in Jonah in chapter 4, He sends a big worm and a scorching east wind. God is more concerned with maturity than your comforts. The longer we walk with God, the more we realize how much sin needs to be rooted out of our lives. In Tim Keller's little book called The Prodigal Prophet, he included a little paragraph that I found helpful. He said during the building of Interstate 79 from Pittsburgh to Lake Erie, one stretch remained unfinished for years because of a swamp that had, that had to be crossed. They kept putting down pilings, trying to finally get to the bottom so the bridge would not sink. But whenever they thought they had gotten to the bedrock, the piling would give way and would have to drill deeper. And Jonah's heart was like that. And sometimes we can go about our lives and maybe we've been a follower of Jesus for years, 5, 10, 20, decades, 30, 40 years. And we think that we have arrived. But then God allows some discomfort in our life. And we realize that there's something else going on in our heart. And God wants to drill deeper to show us our sin and we can experience God's grace and a new and fresh way. The final thing I think we see here in our conclusion is Jesus is the prophet Jonah could never be. Jonah sat on the outside of the city, hoping for it to be condemned. But there was Jesus standing outside the city of Jerusalem with tears coming down his cheek, having pity and compassion for that city. It was one theologian named B.B. Warfield that once wrote a document that was entitled The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And in it, he, he studied all the emotional responses that Jesus had. And he found 29 different times where it says he was moved with compassion. And only one time where there was a reference to his laughter. Jesus is moved with compassion for the people of Senegal, For the people of Canada, for the people of Green Bay, of De Pere, of uh, Freedom, of, of Pulaski, of your neighborhood, of your workplace. God loves them and is compassionate. Jonah sat outside the city hoping for the wrath of God to fall. Jesus went outside the city to absorb the wrath of God for you and I. It says there in Hebrews 13, verse 12, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jonah was critical of God's plan. Jesus fulfilled God's plan. God could forgive the people of Nineveh and remain just because he would punish Jesus for their sins. God could have mercy on Jonah because Jesus would come and die for his sins of stubbornness And selfish anger. Jesus came to take your sins of anger upon himself. Come, confess your sin. Receive this forgiveness. Pray for God to transform your heart and give you peace and trust in his ways. Jonah was given to us to see how God uses sinners, he is committed to their maturity. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves to God today that he would use you. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for Jonah. I'm grateful for his life and how his soul, his heart has just opened up for us to read about. He is one that I can relate to and I think he is one that all of us can relate to in this room. That even in his apparent success, There's a mixture of a struggle and of sin. And you used him to reach a city. Oh, Lord, you could use us to reach a city, to reach the people around us. We bring our sin before you. We bring this sin of anger, a selfish anger before you. And acknowledge that there's been some damage around us as a result of it. It's hurt our families. It's hurt our workplace. It's hurt our friends. And we confess that to you. But like you showed mercy to Jonah and you gave him another opportunity, we receive another opportunity today and ask for you to transform our hearts. Grant us the faith to trust you. Grant us the peace to walk with you. May we be a different woman, a different man, as we've received your grace again. Thank you for this book, Jonah, that, that our eyes bounce from him to Jesus. And we see him there on the cross for our sins. And we see him there with an empty tomb and leaving and ascending back into heaven, where today he is interceding for us, praying for us to confess, praying for us to bring our lives as broken as they are to receive forgiveness and the power to live out the life that you've called us to do. We appreciate that. Now help us to take the time we have and respond to this message the way you would want. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing this great song of of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as we are singing, it might not be appropriate for you to sing. Maybe you just want to pray and and personalize what God has said to you today through this passage. Maybe you want to pray right where you're at, kneeling at your chair here at the altar. But don't leave today until until God has worked, worked out what he wants to do in your life. I'll be here at the front if there's a way that I can pray for you. If you have a question of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we'd be delighted to talk with you about that. Would you stand with me and let's sing this song.